We're beginning a brand new series next four weeks called Living Beyond Fear. Living Beyond Fear. I'm telling you, if you'll listen to me, it's practical, it's for anybody, and even if you weren't a Christian, the principles still apply that will make your life much bigger and a lot better. If you had to guess, and you just were put on the spot, what do you think the most common command anywhere in Scripture happens to be that God gives to the human race? I mean, would it be to be more loving, to avoid pride, walk in humility? Would it have to do with sexual integrity? Well, no. Those are important issues, but they're not the most common. The most common command in all of Scripture is just two words, fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. You can trust me. That's what God says over and over again. Fear is a universal deal. Everybody wrestles with that. A theologian by the name of Dave Barry puts it like this, quote, all of us are born with a set of instinctive fears. Fear of falling, fear of the dark, fear of falling on a lobster in the dark. <laughs> or for men, the words some assembly required <laughs> create fear. We all wrestle with it. And not all fear is bad. There's a good fear that helps us survive. Good fear teaches us to respect appropriate boundaries. Good fear alerts us to real danger. It keeps kids from touching a hot stove. But there are bad fears. Bad fear paralyzes you from what you ought to do. Bad fear is distorted, exaggerated, out of touch with reality, and it's a chronic sense of worry or anxiety. So there's good fear and there's bad fear. Now, let me see if you get it. The fear that keeps children from playing in the middle of Highway 281. That a good fear or a bad fear? That's a good fear, right? Uh, the fear that keeps you from uh, interviewing for the dream job you've always wanted. Good fear, bad fear. Yeah, it's a bad fear. How about the fear that keeps you from expressing your deepest, truest feelings to the police officer who stopped you for speeding, even though there were people going much faster than you were who could have been stopped? Good fear or bad fear? That's a good fear. Shut up, Ricky. For the most part, the mirage of Scripture all throughout the Bible suggests that fear for the human race is generally not a good thing. So in Scripture, there are two kind of mindsets laid out as possibilities for you and for me and for the human race. One mindset is based on faith. The other is based on fear. The faith-based mental attitude is I can trust God's goodness and power to be sufficient in my life and live with a sense of relaxed confidence in Him. That's a mindset of faith. Or I can live with a mindset of fear. I'm on my own. Unless I'm real careful and real cautious, something real bad will happen to me, and I might not be able to handle it. So the illusion that people with a mindset of fear have, and I said the word illusion because it's not true, is that it's the circumstances I face that produce the fear in me. Scripture teaches that is not so. Again and again in the Bible, two different sets of people face the same situation, 
and respond in two different ways. For example, Moses sent 12 spies to explore the promised land. Ten came back and said, we be not able. Yeah, the land is great, but the enemies that live there are so powerful we could never defeat them. We should go back. But two of the same spies, Joshua and Caleb, look at the same land, the same enemies, and say, we should go up at once, for we are well able to possess the land with God's help. Two guys, two groups, same thing, two different responses. Or a young shepherd boy named David brought food to his brothers who were serving in the Israeli army. He sees what his brothers see. This big WWF wrestling federation giant, Goliath, taunting and tormenting the Israeli army, mocking God day after day. And all the soldiers of the Israeli army see him, but they won't take him on. David sees the same guy, goes after him with a slingshot. Same enemy, same place, same time, two different responses. And then Jesus and the disciples are in a boat one day, storm comes up. The disciples are so scared they start screaming like girls in panic. They do. But Jesus is in the same boat, and he's filled with peace so much he's asleep. They have to wake him up. In all of these stories, and a whole lot more we could name, two sets of people face the same situation, see the same promised land, look at the same enemy, get the same doctor report, endure the same storm. Some respond with peace, some with utter terror and panic. What's the difference? Well, it's not the circumstance. It's your mindset. A better word for us today is perspective. The most important determinant of whether you live in faith or fear is your perspective, how you see things. Perspective determines how you respond to everything. I've used this before, but it's still a great illustration. It's a letter a college girl sent to her parents, and it shows the importance of perspective. Dear Mom and Dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire set off by student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with one of the orderlies, and we've moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant. He got fired because of his drinking, so we're moving to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of the baby. Signed, your loving daughter. P.S. None of that really happened, but I did flunk chemistry. I just wanted you to keep it in perspective. That's a smart girl. Perspective is everything. It's the ability to sort out what's a big deal and what's not a big deal. Everything is not a big deal. Somebody got your seat. Somebody got your parking place. That's not a big deal. We got lots of seats. First come, first serve. I think the only time we reserve a seat is for a guest. Yeah, or we had a, a, a special group that came for something. Other than that, it's open seating. They had no special seats. Your name isn't on any seat, right? Is my seat reserved? I, okay. <laughs> but I'll tell you how I'd respond if you're in it, and I wouldn't bother me at all. I'd just slide over to an empty seat. Why? Because in the big scope of things, it ain't a big deal. Get off your high horse. It's not a big deal. Okay. Well, they didn't speak to me. Well, shut up. Move on. Get a coffee. It's not a big deal. They probably didn't see you, were too cold, had their mind on something else, were mad at their husband. Who knows? Relax. Enjoy life. Don't make a big deal out of a molehill. Come on. Don't do that. 
you know, the devil starts off as a serpent in the Genesis. By revelation, he's a dragon. Somebody's feeding this sucker. You know, it's getting bigger and bigger. Well, that's perspective, right? Okay, so my point is, why out of all the commands and all of the instruction that human beings need in life, why is the injunction to not fear number one? Because generally, God asks people to take some adventure, some step they don't want to take. He calls people to acts of extraordinary obedience to risky faith. And generally, it all comes down to this. Will they go with their fear or will they go with their faith? God says, trust me, and He does it so often because the number one factor keeping people from a life of adventure is fear. It's just plain old fear. So fear has a high price tag. There's some high cost if you're going to live with a mindset of fear. Let me give you five of them before we close. Number one, living with a mindset of fear will eat away at your sense of self-worth, your esteem. It will erode your ability to believe in your value as somebody made in the image of God. A psychological association published a book several years ago on self-esteem, and they were looking at this paradox. Why do so many people who've accomplished so much, who are very gifted, quite attractive, well-liked, but they struggle with their own sense of self-worth? They discovered it all boiled down to one issue, which is this. When you face a difficult, fear-producing situation, do you approach it? Do you take action? Do you face it head-on, or do you avoid it? And what they found out is that when people take action, even if it doesn't turn out perfectly, you get a surge of delight inside. You say to yourself, I did a hard thing. I took on a difficult challenge. I faced that fear directly, and you grow. Your self-esteem grows bigger. Even if it didn't work out perfectly, inside you got better, you got bigger. You feel good about yourself because you took the challenge and tried. You faced it. That's a good thing. But look what happens when you face fear and you reject, you, you move away, you avoid facing your fear, then something dies inside of you. Your inner self knows. You can't fool it. You wimped out. You chickened out. You took the easy way, and it erodes your self-esteem. You mark it down. When you are in a situation that creates fear, and I know some of you are, and you face it head on. You're going to feel a rush of satisfaction knowing you displayed courage. But when you don't do that, when you won't take the difficult step, say the difficult word, you die a little bit inside every time. And if that becomes a habitual pattern in your life, over time, you will start to see yourself as somebody who cannot cope with life, who can't cope with life's great challenges. Living in fear will erode your sense of self-worth as a person and make you feel empty and hollow. That's the first cost. Here's the second one. Living with a mindset of fear will cause you to experience stagnation in your life, not growth. Because if you live in fear, you're never going to realize the potential that God's put in you. Growth always involves risk, and risk always involves fear. If you're doing something you've never done before, there's a little bit of risk in it, which produces a little bit of fear because you haven't done it before. You don't have confidence yet, right? So you've got to suck it up, gut it out, 
and face it. And it gets a lot easier because you've been there, done it, and got a T-shirt from that rodeo. You've, you've been there. Really. The people with the most confidence are the people who have faced the most giants and can, can confidently tell you it's going to be okay. Quit talking to a bunch of people scared of pygmies. Stop it. Find some giant killers around you. People have been in the saddle a long time, not people who just showed up for the first time. Find people that know what they're doing. Why would you get advice from somebody that doesn't have any proven achievement? You know, you're a young person. You're going to go talk to another young person. You got 20 years on planet Earth, and you're going to get life's best direction from them? I don't think so. You know, when you get lots of people and you get thousands of people to choose from, there's a big wide parameter of people to pick from that have got proven achievement. You know, if you've never had a baby and you're going to have your first baby and you want to know what it's like, forget reading a book. Go find a woman that's got five kids and look like 14, 18 wheelers put stretch marks on her tummy. You ask her what it's like. That mama can tell you what it's like. She'll tell you what's not a big deal and what is a big deal. That's where I'm going to get my, I'm not going to talk to a broke relative about how to handle money, but some of you will. And it just amazes me that you'll get your advice from people who have no record of proven achievement. That's just stupid. Sorry. So why would anybody stay in a job killing them? Why would anybody that has no passion for the job, they're just punching the clock and treading water, and I'll tell you the answer is simple, fear. They're fear they won't get another job. Fear of failure. And maybe some of you right now, what if you try to do something and it doesn't work out well? What if you don't make enough money? What if people see you make a switch at this point in your life and they think you're foolish? Well, here's what you'll do. You'll wait until you can get an ironclad guarantee that everything's going to work out the way you want it to. You're going to wait until you get that magic phone call. And then you go sit in the waiting room of life for a call that is never going to come. You will never get this ironclad guarantee. That's why faith has risk to it, right? But the, the, the other is that you're just going to sit there and die. And one day you're going to, it's going to be sad because you'll retire and you'll know for the rest of your life, I'll never know what might have been, what could have been, what might have happened, what I could have achieved. I'll never know. This is not in my notes, but just flashed into my head. That's dangerous. <laughs> a horse runs by, and sometimes you shouldn't jump on one. Sometimes it's a good one. But we were in Savannah, Georgia. Cindy and I were on a staff uh, there before coming here to start a church, and this guy who was speaking in our church said that his wife had died of cancer, and he was at a reunion uh, for the school, the college where he went to, and he they're now, he was in, I think at the time, his late 40s, and he met a girl that he actually was crazy about, but he never had the guts to ask her to go out with him, never. And now a single guy, he meets her in this reunion, and she said, Bob, can I ask you a question? Oh, Jesus, this was, this was the dagger to the heart. Why didn't you ever ask me out? And he said he died a thousand deaths. And some of you, you know what? A, a good no, knowing you tried, means you'll never, ever have a thought dance through. What would have happened if I'd have ever asked her out? You, you'll never have that thought. 
So ask. Some of you dead young men, ask. We got some beautiful single women in here. We got some beautiful single women that uh, had a sorry husband and they're still vivacious, young, have a child, and you sit on your duff waiting for them to call you. You're an idiot. <laughs> Go after her. Pursue. I'm sorry. I, I don't care what you, I don't care if I get on Dr. Phil or not. I'm telling you. I just cannot imagine the youth culture today that is not aggressive. I don't want to live with what if. If it's an opportunity, it's part of your passion, something you want, you say, yeah, but I don't have enough credits, or I don't think I have a high enough degree. I don't know that I qualify enough. Ask for it. Go in and try. They might say yes. You might be that close. But you'll always live with a haunting thought of what if, what if. I'm not dying with what if. I want my wife to be able to look at my tombstone and at least say, at least the sucker tried. <laughs> at least he tried. I'm not the best, the prettiest, or whatever, but I'm not afraid to try. Come on, I mean that. Don't be afraid to try. You know, a shrunken heart, unrealized potential, that's too high a price to pay because of fear. Third cost of living in fear. It'll cost you your joy. You'll know the pain of constant, chronic, low-grade anxiety much of your life. Most research reveals that worriers have a high-capacity imagination, but it always runs to the negative. What if? What if I get in a car wreck? What if I do the wrong thing at work? What if I don't pass this course? What if I can't make it on my application in job? What if the doctor says it's cancer? All of these things are set in the future. They may never happen at all. Most probably won't. But these people with this imagination of negativity are always, if you're in a shower and you feel a lump, it's got to be cancer. It's got, why does it have to be? You know, it doesn't have to be. But I'm saying that's their imagination always runs way overboard. When I live in a fear-filled mind, I give those thoughts power to rob me of life now. A healthy sense of perspective allows you to assign those events a realistic assessment that gives you the power to get on with your life. You know, what if you lose your job? We'll get another one. Might even be better and make more money and be more challenging. Could be a promotion from God. But when you live in fear, you lose perspective. And the power of what if paralyzes you. And you go through life without joy because joy and fear are incompatible. Did you ever see a fearful, joyful person? I don't think so. That's not possible. And that's too high a price to pay for fear. There's another one, number four. Living with a mindset of fear will lead to a mountain of regret at the end of your life for all the risks you never took, all the challenges you never embraced, all the times God said to you, come on, trust me. And you said, no, no. I might get hurt. No, I can't do that. No. You've been hanging out with the wrong people. Or you came out of the wrong family. You know, I mean, I don't care what my kids do. If they ever go on Oprah or somebody and say, well, my parents just didn't believe in me. My parents never pushed me to take a chance. I'll come back from the dead and haunt you. I, that is never going to happen. God always calls people to trust him. He said to Abraham, 
leave your home, leave your country, leave your relatives, go with your wife Sarah, and as an old man, you're going to give birth to a son and become the father of a nation, but you're going to have to leave everything familiar and everything comfortable, and you'll have to trust me. God said to Moses, go confront the most powerful man on earth. Tell him, let my people go. I'm going to start a new people that are going to give hope to the world, and you're going to be the beginning of it, but you got to trust me. God said to Daniel, I want you to defy the king. I want you to pray even though there's a law against it. I want you to go to a lion's den, and I'm going to shut the mouths of the lions. And by the way, you'll have to trust me on that. I'd love to see some of you in that situation. You just read the Bible, and you just walk through it, and you're thinking, don't you think these are human beings with the same feelings you have? Absolutely. You, you say, what, Lord? Those cats are going to What? They always starved the cats before they had prisoners put in. They would, and here comes a, Daniel, a, a McDaniel sandwich is coming down. <laughs> Holy Moses. I know he thought it was over, but he, but he prayed anyway, trusted God anyway. And for those who shrink back in fear and say no to the call of God, they end up sitting in a chair in a waiting room with a mountain of regret. Several years ago, out of this church, I talked to a woman who was in a long-term relationship with a man, and she knew the relationship wasn't good. She knew it. It involved sinful patterns in this guy's life that were serious, abusive, and destructive to her. And she knew what was at stake, but she told me she felt like if she breaks up with him, she'll be left alone the rest of her life. Maybe for, like, where did all the men go? You get rid of a loser, where did all the men go? Well, I'm older. Well, there's some older men. Well, I maybe don't look as good. Well, maybe they don't see as good. What are you talking about? <laughs> Shoot. If God can open blind eyes, he can close them too. You don't know. <laughs> My theology is a lot better. I'm just telling you. I mean, staying with a loser is no gain to your life at all. And what's sad, at the end of your life, the thought's going to come to you, what might have been? What might have been if I had trusted God? But you're never going to know. You're never going to know that he's trustworthy because you didn't confront the fear. Why would God provide the answer before you step out to do the right thing? It doesn't take any faith. But I believe God will take care of me, so I tithe. I believe God will take care of me and be my healer, so I trust him. I believe God, if he calls me to start something, will somehow, out of difficult situations, bring me through it. He said, I'll never leave. That's by faith. There's a lot of fear there, but faith is my only weapon against it. And you've got to do it. And you won't grow until you... And the, the most confident people have overcome the most fear. They had fear, too. What if? What if it doesn't work? What if I get there and nobody comes? What if we start the church and nobody shows up? I, have you ever considered this a volunteer organization? Any church in them? And people can vote with their feet. They don't have to sign a card. I never know what will happen from week to week. don't have a clue. I just do what God told me to do and trust God at the end of the day. Well, you had a good job. You had a low, a low interest, low payment home on the intercoastal waterway in Savannah. You had the good life. Yeah, I know, and God messed it up. <laughs> and he sent me here with a U-Haul trailer, two little girls, a wife that wasn't sure I had the call anyway, and mercy, <laughs> mercy. I, I didn't need the devil. I had all my friends. 
It's amazing how Christians can just give you the devil's CD of the month or podcast every time you try to, do, well, have you considered your age? Well, if you start this new job, what have you thought about? The devil hadn't even got to take a coffee break. He's, he's cool. We got the church talking to you, trying to negate a dream, a vision, an act of courage. It's not that bad, honestly. You, the more you do it, the easier it gets to do it. And if you want that in your kids, you're going to have to learn how to do it so they can catch it. You know, if you want to produce giant killers, you got to kill a giant. You can't just talk about it or sit in church. Well, anyway, number five. Here's the last one. This is helping anybody. I mean, this is just good stuff, right? It's practical. A mindset of fear is contagious. Do you know that God said to Joshua when they were building the army, he said, anybody that's fearful, send them home. They will turn the heart of the people. It's contagious. It's toxic. It's like a contagious disease. Fear spreads. I thought I heard a gunshot, and everybody panics. People are trampled to death. It's, con- it's very, very contagious. So think about that in your family. It can get passed from one generation to another. It's probably the highest cost of all for parents. Because if you allow yourself to go through life with your hopes, your dreams, your calling, always being distorted by fear and worry, there's a pretty good chance you're going to limit the hopes and dreams and calling of the children that love you. Usually we tell our kids, be careful, honey. Watch out. Stranger danger. It's dangerous out there, sweetheart. That's a great way to start today. It's a rare mom that said, take risks, honey, live big, embrace danger. Just look one way when you cross the street. Get out there and do something today. I'm exaggerating. That's called hyperbole for effect. You get my point. Come on, kick some bottom out there today, son. Go big or go home. Send them out ready to hit a home run. Why not? Just as easy as saying, well, honey, be careful. We've prayed all night. We did the Daniel fast for your test. We want you to be a... I, 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 religious people just gag me. It's just, I'm sorry. It's not that complicated. We got stuff and fast and stuff they never heard of in the Bible going on, and people still suck. They're still not doing any good. I just don't think life is that hard or complicated. And I have never not faced down an attack or a fear. Go ahead. Make my day. If God's for me, who can be against me? I'm going to come out of it all right. Sue me. Whatever you want to do, I'm going to come out on top. Yeah, you can hurt me. You can delay me. You can wound me. But you can't stop me. Or you, if you're doing what God told you to do. That's confidence, man. Don't be afraid. If the doctor said it's, it's whatever, fine. We're all going to die one day somehow. But the point, some of you look like you already did, but I know, you, I know you're just cold. I know you're just cold. <laughs> you meet those people, I don't know, you could start a fire in here, they still wouldn't break a smile or anything, nothing. I don't know. I forgot what I was saying. What was I saying? Yeah. Doctor said, what? <laughs> oh, and you just assume, well, I'm going to die. Okay, you might die. We are going to pray, anoint you with all, believe, and rebuke. And you might die. People do. But you might live. Here's my guarantee. 
if God's not finished, you will live. If he is not finished, you will live and not die. Philippians 1 says, that which I've begun in you, I will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I think it's Philippians 1, 6. That's important to know. Meaning my attitude will be, well, here's what the, here's what the natural diagnosis is. But if God isn't finished with me, it doesn't matter. He will override it. If he can make a 100-year-old man have a baby, if he can back up the Red Sea, if he can feed you with an unclean raven, if he can work miracle after miracle, make the sun stand still, he can override anything that happens to me. It's not a sin to die. It's a sin not to live in faith. Everybody, you know, we sometimes these guys that and they mean well, they want you to have faith, but they it's kind of like, well, everybody doesn't get well. We do a lot of funerals. Everybody doesn't get well. But a lot of people do get well. So give me my shot. Pray for me. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say. Pray for me. And if God's not through with me, I think I have a sense of knowing that. And if if it's unexpected, it didn't catch God off guard. That's all I know. That's all I know. It's you know there's a scripture in 1 John, I think it's chapter 2, that says, he that does the will of God, uh, there's something about it's eternal. It, whatever, whatever God's called you to do, there's no, it, there's no date on it that can be expired before it's accomplished. It's not going to happen. That's just really good to know. And so every time it says it said about Jesus, they tried to take him, throw him off, but his time had not yet come. You have to know your time. Hadn't come or it has come. There's, by the way, you, your time can come as a teenager, as a young adult, middle-aged, or senior citizen. There's no age grouping for it. Whenever God says it's finished, it's finished. That's all. So I, I want to live as full as I can, as long as I can. But when he says it's up, it's fine with me. I signed up for this deal a long time ago, eternal life. So I'm not afraid of this physical death. I still, I, you don't stop existing. You, you just don't exist here anymore. Is that encouraging? <laughs> so kids learn from the parents. If you don't get a grip on this stuff, your kids are going to learn the only way to go through life is being anxious and lots of fear. You'll be passing on a legacy you don't want to live. leave. I remember years ago, it's been about 10 years, I guess, I'm not quite sure, but I was offered the chance to climb Mount Rainier in Seattle, Washington. I think, Jim, it's around nearly 15,000 15, feet high, and I jumped at the chance. Uh, I was ignorant. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> it was risky. It was difficult. People die every year on Mount Rainier. It, it, it's, uh, it's very, very hard, and uh, about half don't even make it. It's just only up and down, the fastest one you can do, a two-day event, but it'd be with me for the rest of my life, and so will the painful memory of my body. <laughs> the Sunday I came back, I could not get up the steps to preach. I had so much lactic acid in my body. I don't know if you did, Jim. I had to go up this way. <laughs> okay, laugh at me if you want to. With a 70-pound pack and three layers of clothes on because it was below freezing. But every time American Airlines flies me over Mount Rainier, I look down on it and said, I climbed you, sucker. I climbed you. I climbed you. And it'll be with me the rest of my life. And I don't care who's in the seat next to me. I flat make sure they know. I climbed that. I climbed that thing. Just a silly illustration. I'm not going to do something stupid. Stupid, foolish, but there's risk in it. Uh, 
So I want to have children who live with fearless faith. And so does God. So does God. That's why God more often commands us to fear not. And he gives us a reason not to fear. Fear not, for I am with you. David said, the Lord is my strength and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? God told Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Why does he keep saying that over and over and over? Because fear keeps coming and coming and coming. And when God leads you, you're going to have an adversary and you're going to face a lot of fear producing situations, right? Well, if he leaves me, what will we do? I don't know, but you will go on. I know that. I know God will help you. He will be a husband to the widow. He will sustain you. You've got to believe that. I can't give you an ironclad guarantee everything's going to go well in life because you're a Christian. There's not a promise in Scripture about that. Thomas Aquinas said, if the primary aim of a captain was to preserve his ship, he would keep it in port forever. Same for the church. If our goal is simply to preserve it, we will defensively protect it. But if our goal is to reach out, to go somewhere, to do something, we will willingly risk it. You know that I was a commercial pilot. I love raised in the Air Force. I love aviation. And I read on an aircraft some years ago, an aeronautics machine, about the Boeing 777, one of the safest aircraft ever produced. But the headline said, Boeing risks the company again. Boeing had moved commercial aviation from propeller aircraft to jets by introducing the Boeing 707 in 1958. It was the biggest risk the company ever took, and it could have been completely destroyed, but it didn't happen. Boeing risked itself again in 1970 with the 747, the most profitable airplane ever produced, ever, and still in service. And the age of the wide-body jets was born forever. It must have been hard for a successful corporation to risk stability and profitability with such a new adventure. The risk-taking, however, didn't stop. The company wouldn't be satisfied with yesterday's innovations or successes. So along came the 777, and now the new 787. So I thought, would it have been a greater risk not to have changed? What happened to companies that stuck with manufacturing wooden ships, horse-drawn carriages, traditional typewriters? Most are long gone, and those that remain are just aging shadows of their former selves. Those who have a future are always people who look outside of themselves. They risk new approaches. They service new people. They exist for others and not themselves. And that becomes the safest route to survival. Mark it down. Churches of the 21st century will not be those that emphasize self-preservation without risk. The survivors and thrivers will be those who exist for others. God says there's nothing you and I can't together handle. Jesus would say over and over, my advice to you, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear or what's going to happen tomorrow. Look at the birds. They don't toil or spin, but your Father cares for them. Look at the flowers in the field. You're more important than a dumb flower or a bird. So my advice to you is stop worrying. Fear not, for I am with you. I want you to watch in just a second a little video clip. It was a movie several years ago called The Bear. It's a little documentary. It was a story of a little bear cub 
The mother had died uh, in an accident, and so he's on his own, probably won't make it as a little bear cub. And then to his surprise, this great big giant Kodiak daddy bear adopts this little cub. And they do life together. He teaches the little cub how to live, how to fish, how to scratch himself against the bark of a big tree. And the little cub does everything he sees his big daddy doing. Then one day they get separated. The little cub's on his own. They're at a stream in the forest, and this little cub and a mountain lion meet face to face. The mountain lion is ready to pounce. It's hard to watch because you know, oh, he's going to be cat food in just a minute. And at the crisis moment, the little bear cub does what he had seen his daddy bear do. He got up on his hind paws, and he pawed the air, and he tried to roar. But it's just a squeaky squeal that comes out. Then the camera goes back to the mountain lion. His ears drop. There's terror in the lion's eyes. He slinks back and runs away. And the camera then pans back to the little bear cub, standing surprised. He was so effective. And then the camera pans back to show us what the little cub couldn't see. Watch. Did you just see that? Here's Big Daddy Bear standing up on his hind legs ready to kill. And we understand what the little cub couldn't understand. He was never alone. And although he couldn't see him, hear him, or touch him, old Big Daddy was with him all the time. Why, he was as safe as he could ever be. My point, that's what God wants all of us to know. No matter what you're going through, no power on earth can separate you from the loving care and protection of your Father. Nothing, not loss, not failure, not rejection, not cancer, not loneliness, not sickness, not even death itself. There's nothing that has the power to separate you and I from the love and care of our Heavenly Father in this world and in the world to come. I'm with you, God says. And the ultimate fear of people is, I can't handle it. Something bad is going to happen to me. I won't be able to handle it. But the ultimate promise of God is, there's nothing you and I cannot handle together. I will always give you grace for that moment or that issue. And if you get a hold of that, it changes your life. Last thought. One of the great I can handle anything statements is done by the Apostle Paul. Imagine you've lost your job. You're isolated from friends. You're living in a strange country. You don't know the people. Jealous enemies have trashed your reputation. You've been arrested on trumped-up charges. You've been physically beaten, put in jail. You don't know if you'll ever get out of jail, and you might be executed tomorrow. Do you think you just might be tempted to worry? Here's what Paul writes, sitting in jail, not knowing if he'll survive one more day. He said, I can handle anything through Christ who gives me strength. And the promise of God is, so can you. So can I. One day, one day from this church, great preachers, business leaders, teachers, sports stars, entrepreneurs will emerge on the stage of history. And I'll give you at least one 
of the reasons why. Because they sat in an atmosphere that said, it can be done. Where God declared, don't be afraid, be of good cheer. My strength and my salvation is with you. Fear not. And the greatest fear of mankind is, of course, death. Hebrews 2.14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And so God says, fear not. Fear not the past, it's forgiven. Fear not the future, I'm already there. Fear not sickness and disease, I'm still the great physician. Fear not loneliness, I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Fear not death, I have defeated death, hell, and the grave. Fear not a business failure. I am the Lord God that gives you power to get wealth. I will supply all your need according to my riches and glory. I will plant you by rivers of living water. Your leaf won't wither, and whatever you do will prosper. Don't worry. Folks, the cost of fear is too high a price to pay. And I hope you'll make this decision this morning to say whatever I need to do, whatever things I need to learn, whatever I need to put into practice, I'm going to pay the price in 2017. I will never live in fear any longer in my life. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.